And with that, I get to announce this amazing woman of God, Jayla, who is, who is our worship pastor and, and just a key leader in this church. She's got this, uh, she's, she's got so much to offer, and I'm so excited to hear what she has today and what she has after. And so let's just, uh, can we just extend our hands to, to Jayla and, and just, God, we just pray that you use her in a mighty way, that, that you use her to share your heart with us, God. We thank you for Jayla. Jayla. <laughs> we thank you for Jayla and everything that you've made her into. It's in your mighty name. Amen. That makes me feel better. Okay. All those triceps. <laughs> so, just a little bit of a warning. I am extremely raw and vulnerable. Like, that's just how I live. I am like a living, walking, open book. So if some of the things I share are like, you're like, whoa, like you should save that for like at home and like not talk about that at church, I apologize ahead of time. I'm going to share my story and a little bit of my transformation. And I really believe what God did with me is what he wants to do for the greater body of Christ, which is why I'm sharing it. And... um. But I will just forewarn you guys, like, I am totally an open book. So if my vulnerability is like, ooh, then I just apologize ahead of time. And maybe it's an invitation for you to step into boldness and be vulnerable yourselves and develop greater intimacy with God and other people. So there's that. So I think everybody here, no, mostly everybody here, but for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jayla. Um, my parents moved my family and me, I have another brother. He played here once, it was really fun. But we moved from Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma, to Truth or Consequences, New Mexico when I was five years old, and that's where I grew up. And so, yeah, Michael and I drive up here every Sunday because we love you guys and we live well. <laughs> but my parents moved to TRC to start a nonprofit child care center. If you guys who don't know about much about TRC, it's like super at risk and super low income. And it's sort of like missions in America type thing. And my grandparents were pastors there for a good 30 something years. I don't know exactly. But the hope was that my family would come and partner with the church, start a school and just build strong families between the church and the school and help transform the community. And so my family was very prominent uh, pillars in the community, and today they still are. Like, um, they always been. It was like one of the biggest churches in the community, as far as like the charismatic world goes. And so I grew up. A lot of people kind of call it like you're a fishbowl kid. You know what I'm talking about, where everybody can see into your world, and you got to have everything together and be perfect, and everybody's watching your every move because you're in the fishbowl, and everybody can see everything. So I kind of grew up with 
and back then, I don't know if you guys feel this, but like the gospel message has just exploded in terms of truth. And like now we know the kingdom and like we're actually set free from sin. We've actually been made righteous and we're actually made to bring heaven down. But I didn't grow up knowing that. I grew up thinking I was just like a worthless sinner and Jesus had to endure the cross to save me from my sin and and all, you know, all that. So I grew up in a very like, very performance-driven and works-driven environment, and I attached all my value to how well I could perform and how better I could be than everybody else and all the works I could do. But the And I had crazy encounters with God growing up, like no doubt. I saw his miracles at work, and I saw his goodness, and I had amazing encounters. But there wasn't that, like, I was doing a lot of things out of fear and not motivated by love. And But I had no clue. I didn't know any better. And so... Fast forward, living that way for a while, and it kind of worked for me, finding my value in the things I could accomplish and the good works I could do or my talents and my skills or whatever. And then I went to college. So in 2012, I went to Oral Roberts University, and um, of course I had my, I have like a very driven mom, so she pushed me to accomplish a lot. And so I got like a full ride scholarship to Oral Roberts University, and um, while I was there, it was like culture shock because TRC is really small. And really, New Mexico is pretty small, too. So you can really accomplish anything you want to here. And so I went into college thinking I was hot stuff because of all the things I could do and all my talents and whatever. But I got there, and it was like culture shock. So it was like, whoa, every girl is beautiful. Everybody's super crazy smart. Everybody can play music. They're super talented and they have all these amazing abilities. And because I had found all my value and the things I could accomplish and things I could do, it was like my value was just like stripped away. And because of that, I began to have like an identity crisis and I didn't know who I was. And I was scrambling and just holding on for anything I could grasp to have a sense of identity and a sense of worth. And so all that I had built my life on had totally come crashing down. And so during that time, I ended up um, developing an eating disorder. And at first, it was anorexia. So I lost like a ton of weight. I lost my menstrual cycle. I was losing my hair. I was losing eyelashes. And it was just really, really bad. But it was this sense of control. Like everything in my life was spiraling out of control. And the one last thing of perfectionism I could try to chase after was that. So fast forward again. Um, that Christmas we found out, and this is kind of where I feel like my story is going to value, like bring value to the body of Christ. So that, because I know all of us have experienced like a lot of church hurt at one point or another. And, um, so that Christmas I went home and, um, we found out my parents like sat my brother and I down and they told us that our grandparents who are our pastors were getting a divorce And so I was, like, totally heartbroken because they had taught my grandpa and I were really close. And he taught me everything that I knew about God and marriage and love. And he was my my spiritual leader, and I really admired him. And so to hear that kind of felt like he was living a lie. And he was my closest role model to God. Of course, my parents, like, taught me about God, too. But, I mean, as my pastor, like, I looked to him as that, you know, my pastor and my grandpa. So... I was just, like, super confused, and so I already felt like I was stripped of my identity, and then to have my spiritual identity felt like the rug just getting pulled out from underneath me, and I was like, what the heck? And so during that time, um, I developed, like, a 
just massive bitterness towards the church, a massive bitterness towards men and um, towards authority figures. And um, later on, we found out, and don't worry, the story gets better. So I know it's like really heavy. I'm like, oh my God, like now, like it will get better, I promise. So later we found out, let's just get all the junk out of the way and so we can get to good stuff. So later we found out that he was actually having multiple affairs with other women and they had been going on for like a, at least 12 years. And he even had children with some of my best friend's moms. So, when now they're like 13, 14. So, I mean, it had been going on for a long time that he had been keeping a lot of this stuff in hiding and keeping it in secret. And so, our church fell apart, and um, my spiritual identity kind of fell apart because I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that would probably happen to anybody. And so, during that time, the eating disorder got worse. It switched from anorexia to um, what's called chewing and spitting. It's sort of like um, binging and purging, but you don't throw up. And so that became crazy addictive, like so addictive because I wasn't giving my body the nutrients it wanted, but it was like still craving food. And so I would just like hide away in my dorm room and like Michael always laughs when I share this because it's, like, so not who I am anymore. But I would hide away in my dorm room. Okay, this is so crazy. I would go to the cafeteria with Tupperware containers, fill it up with, like, cookies and cupcakes and, like, all kinds of crazy stuff, go to my room, my dorm room. I didn't have a roommate. And literally just, like, binge and purge for hours. And that was, like, my life. Go to class, binge and purge. Go to class, binge and purge. Go to sleep, wake up. It was bad, and it lasted for about like three or five years. So all of this accumulating. And so during that time at school, after everything with my grandpa, there was about a year that I was like, because I still had this performance mentality, like, crap, I am a screw up. Like, I began to like really hate myself. And I went in to, when I reflect back on that time, visually, it feels like what would be like a cave. So it was just dark, and I had because I had felt so much pain, I start to build up all these walls around my heart to try to block out the pain. So I literally like cut myself off from my heart and from my emotions and from anything because it was to self-protect. And so, so I call this season of my life like the hiding or the cave. And this is where I really want to start talking about because one of the things I want to talk about today and really drive home is like vulnerability and intimacy with God. And so I just want to like point out when we believe lies, we start to begin all these, believe all these lies about ourselves. I had this lie that I was only as good as what I could accomplish or how good I could be or whatever. And because of that, I went into hiding and I went into isolation and it was just this place where shame just took over and shame caused those like bad behaviors and those bad coping skills to just multiply and get worse and worse and worse because it, I was isolated and I was ashamed. And so somebody once told me during that time, they didn't know what they were saying at the time, but I like took it to heart and they said, cockroaches proliferate in the darkness, but you turn on the light and they scatter. And so during that time in hiding, it was like, the addiction just got worse. It got really bad. The eating disorder got really bad. And, sorry, I wanna make sure I get to the good part. I'll just finish with the story and then we'll roll with it. So then fast forward, 
I ended up, I was at college for two years, and the last year was when I really started to be vulnerable and real with people. So for about a year, I was just in hiding. It was, like, really terrible. So then after about a year, literally, it was so bad, and I was so desperate for freedom that I started to reach out to my friends for help. And I lost a lot of my friends in the process because I was just too much. And I don't, I don't blame them for that. Like, it was a lot. I was a lot. And um, so I lost all my friends, and then it led me to ultimately go back home because I just figured there was college was just not good for me right then. So I went back home, and of course there were ups and downs, and I went through counseling, and counseling helped like for a little bit. Um, but it wasn't really until that like last half of the second year that I really said like I'm going after freedom like I don't care what it takes I'm going after freedom and even though I was in this like cave of like shame and isolation and self-hatred there was like this tiny little fire fiery spark inside of me that knew there was something greater and that knew I had a calling on my life and while all the darkness around felt really really big this little spark like drove me forward to seek after freedom and so in so Michael and I started dating that summer, and he showed me love like I didn't know was possible. And I was very transparent with him. I'm like, he knew everything I was going through, and he loved me despite all that. And he was probably, like, the first person in my life to truly, truly love me despite all the crap that I was in. So he was at Bethel, and so then I was home for fall. And then through a series of events, I decided I probably should go out to Reading see what it's all about, live there for a while, see what healthy men, healthy church looks like. And um, also, my boyfriend slash fiance lived there, and I want to be closer to him. So <laughs> I ended up moving out to Reading, and I got, like, a lot of prophetic words and confirmation about it. But it was, like, these, this season of a life was, like, the boldness, like, stepping into light, like, hey, this is me, this is all my crap, like, I don't really care if people reject me anymore. I just want freedom. And at this, I think it's important to point out, like, a lot of times the way we interact with people kind of reveals how we see God too. And I was hiding from God. Like in that cave, like I was hiding from God. And I could say all I want, he's good, Jesus heal me. But there was no way I was going to let him in to see how messed up the inside really was. So fast forward to this part of my life, like going out to California, I was actually like really ready to be free and really ready to be raw and vulnerable before God. And yeah, I was still like super pissed at him and super like, what the heck is going on? But I was willing to be, I was desperate to be healed, and I was willing to do anything it takes to lay down anything to get that healing. And so I went out to California, and with the first night I met my roommates, they prayed for me, and I got my menstrual cycle back. And I was, like, super raw and open with them, too. Like, hey, guys, this is what I'm struggling with, um, just so you know. I really need help. And they were so joyful and happy and, like, not intimidated at all. So then fast forward two weeks later, there was this church service. And um, at this point, God was just like so coming after me with his love that the walls were slowly coming down. I was getting more and more brave, and I was really ready to give it up. So I went forward for the altar call at the end. And what they do is they have like this like line of people just waiting for whoever wants to pray with you. And I was like, oh, dear God, please let it be a girl, not a guy. Oh. And then sure enough, it was like this cute Swedish guy who was like my age and I'm like but I was desperate so I was just like bawling and I'm like oh I have an eating disorder I've been prayed for a million times and nothing's happened but I'm so desperate I just want to be healed ah! and he's just like smiling and looking and he's like well today's your day you're never gonna deal with this again and I'm like 
yeah right like I've dealt with this for so long and so many people have prayed but whatever I'm desperate so he prays like a quick prayer and um then he's like hey can I just speak some truth over you and I'm like yeah and he's like okay and he brought over a girl to be accountable he was like can I speak some truth over you I was like yeah I'm desperate he's like okay I just want you to look in my eyes like don't look away from my eyes I'm like, okay, I'll do anything. So I look him in the eyes, and he begins to pray over me, and he tells me, like, your hair is beautiful. Your cheeks are beautiful. Your chin is beautiful. Your shoulders, your chest is beautiful. You've never been more beautiful in the past than you are right now in this moment. You've never, you will never be more beautiful in the future than you are right now in this moment. And he went through every part of my body, even parts that you wouldn't think somebody would want to talk about when it's like a total stranger or guy or girl whatever and told me how beautiful I was and we locked eyes the entire time and um it was like and this part I might get emotional on but it was like everything kind of faded and when I was locked in on his eyes it was like I was looking into Jesus's eyes and I remember thinking to myself like this must be what Jesus's eyes look like and so the prayer finishes and he just asked me like oh do you look any different or do you feel any different and I'm like no not really like I knew in my mind I was like oh that was powerful but I don't really feel any different he was like well I can see it in your eyes you're never gonna deal with this again and I was like okay like wow you're really confident okay and I'm like all right thank you and then I go to the bathroom to like fix my face and when I went to the bathroom I realized I had walked with my like I think I probably spent the past three years prior to that literally walking with my head down comparing my body to other people's body comparing my value to what I think is in the room and when I walked to the bathroom I realized I walked with my head carried high and I looked people in the eyes all the way to the bathroom so I got to the bathroom and all oh, the tears came again so I was like oh my god maybe I am different and I didn't think anything about it and a week went by and I was like oh my god I'm healed and my my roommates had made like some cookies or something and I was like there's a small little thing like oh hey you could go like binge out on their cookies and I'm like nah and then I realized oh my god I'm healed and so a month went by. I was like, okay, no, for sure I'm healed. Because I, like, couldn't even go, like, a few hours without binging and purging. And so I was like, dear God, like, please let me see that kid, that guy again, so that I can tell him, like, his prayers really worked. Because I was super brave. And sure enough, like, two days later, I saw him at a random coffee shop. And I got to tell him. And it was, like, amazing. And it was actually, like, a really big step of faith for him, too. Because he had been praying that God would give him an opportunity to love a girl like as a sister and not just as an object so it was like perfect timing and let me get to my notes so so yeah ever that was in 2015 and I've been completely healed ever since then not one single day of relapse like he genuinely like broke it all off and so I want to talk a little bit about intimacy and being Knowing God and also letting God know you. So we're going to start with John three seventeen. And also while I was there, forgave men, forgave my grandpa, encountered God as a father, got engaged, married a husband, which I never thought I would be married. I said, I will never get married. But I did. Marriage... Marriage is beautiful, but then I thought marriage was going to be terrible. But it's not. Marriage is beautiful. Mm. Sorry, I'm having trouble finding it. 
3.17 God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to, to, but to be its savior and rescue it. So now there is no longer any condemnation for those who believe in him, but the unbeliever already lives under condemnation because they do not believe in the name of God's beloved son. And here's the basis for their judgment. The light of God has now come into the world, but the hearts of people love their darkness more than the light because they want the darkness to conceal their evil. So the wicked hate the light and try to hide from it, for their lives are fully exposed in the light. But those who love the truth will come out into the light, welcome its exposure, for the light will reveal that their fruitful works were produced by God. And then also 1 John 4, 18, but basically says there's no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. And Jesus already took all the wrath on the cross. Like God, Father God is not here to punish us. If anything, he is here to restore us and take us to a whole new level of wholeness and intimacy with him and identity in who we are. So I'm sure you guys can kind of see where I'm going with this, with the darkness versus the light thing. The darkness, a lot of us are really scared to come into the light and show who we really are with people and with God because we're afraid of that punishment. We're afraid of being rejected. But I just want to like encourage you guys that we don't have to be afraid of the light. So when we expose, we have a really good father. When we step into the light, his light comes and it purifies us and it makes us look more like him. And we don't have to be afraid. Like we're not unbelievers. We're not, we don't need to conceal anything. He sees it all. He saw it all on the cross and he still said yes to us. So essentially, if we stay in hiding, it shows that we either love the evil that we're in or in some way we're believing a lie about God and we're actually afraid to be real and honest with him. So when I got totally set free, I was praying and I was asking God because my body was a wreck. My body was so jacked up, and my mind was super jacked up. And even though I, I had been totally set free from the bondage of that thing, I was still thinking like a slave. So I remember praying one day and just asking God, like, okay, how are we going to do this? Because I'm still, like, feeling super insecure and not really loving myself. And he told me that to get, he set me free, but together we were going to heal my mind and heal my body. And so from that point forward, every single moment I would try to connect with him, I would just go back to that moment, moment when I saw his eyes. And I'm a firm believer that in his presence, any junk that we're dealing with will just fall off in his presence. You don't need, this might step on to some toes, but you don't need to shaka laka laka cast out demons. Just look in his eyes. Like that's what he wants. That's what he created us for. And so at the beginning of time, I mean, we can see this all throughout the Bible. So I'm just going to screw my notes and just talk because I feel like they're making it, like, harder. Maybe I'll look at them. I don't know. We'll see. So at the we see this all throughout the Bible. Everything is about being face-to-face -face with Jesus. And that's the only thing that has transformed me is being face-to-face -face with him. There was some boy somewhere who said yes, who had Jesus so much in his heart that when he prayed for me, this, like, screwed up, messed up girl, he, Jesus actually came through through his eyes, and I saw that, and it touched me, and it changed me. And now my, like, greatest prayer is that when people look into my eyes, they see Jesus. And I'm going to go after him and spend time with him until I look more and more like him.
Even someday, I pray that I won't even have to talk to people. I can just look at them and they'll feel his presence. That would be, like, amazing. But we can see this, like, all throughout the Bible. Like, in Genesis, out of the abundance of a heart, the mouth speaks. Out of God's heart, he created the world. He, like, reasoned with Holy Spirit and Father and Jesus, all reasoned together, spoke together, dreamt about us together, creating us, putting, on this, putting us in this world it was out of the abundance of his heart. Like you were in his heart at the beginning of the world. And then to take a step further and create us from dust. Unlike any other creation, he spoke into existence. But with us, he was quiet. He formed us with our dirt. And then bent over and gave us life with his breath. It's a kiss. It's mouth to mouth, face to face. It's the presence. And um, in the Hebrew language, there's actually no word for presence like we say presence and I guess to me presence is kind of like when I start to feel God so I know everybody encounters God differently but for me I like start to feel him I don't know and sometimes see stuff but most of the time I feel him I'm like whoo I can feel his presence but every time we say that every time we say presence it's actually like oh I'm face to face with God right now I'm face to face with Jesus right now I can see his eyes it's close enough it's like we're kissing after all we are his bride we're his children, but we're also his bride. And so in the beginning, that's how it all started, face to face. And then you fast forward and you look through the prophets and you see Moses. And they had such a limited experience they could have with God because Christ hadn't come yet. But even then, Moses was face to face with God. And face to face, again, if you read the message, you'll like know all this. Or if you read the Passion Translation, you'll know all this stuff. But face to face is mouth to mouth. It's like a kiss. And so Moses was there face to face with God limited because of the covenant they were in but he was still face to face he was a friend with God and then okay maybe I do need my notes nope so then you fast forward and you see in revelations after Jesus had come and you you read in revelations about John had this crazy encounter where he went to heaven and he got to see Jesus unveiled in his fullness face to face with God and he describes his eyes he describes his hair he describes all these things and he describes his bride he describes us and, you know, everybody says, like, the most, one of the most beautiful moments at a wedding is when the bride walks down the aisle. And everybody, like, everybody looks at the bride. But I'm sure there's some of us in this room who you kind of peek at the groom and you see their face. Like, that's how Jesus looks at us. That's what his eyes look like. If we can just grasp that, all of our junk would fall away. All of our insecurities would fall away. All of our addiction, sin, crap Whatever you focus on, you become. And this is actually proven scientifically. Like it's not just some woo spiritual thing. Like what you look at, what you focus on, in your brain you create narrow, neuro pathways and you go down those paths. We, that's what renewing your mind is all about. Is you stop and you create something new. You create something beautiful. And the more you choose that new and beautiful thing, it becomes second nature. So if we focus on Jesus and we look at him, we become more and more like him. Jesus, and he's love. So when we set our eyes on him and we become more and more like him, we actually begin to look like love. We talk all the time about how we're bringing the kingdom to earth and the he heaven comes to earth in the hearts of every believer. And I believe that happens as we begin to set our eyes on him. The more and more we look like him, the more and more heaven comes to earth. And so I wrote a song. Let me make sure I got everything.
Yeah, I'm not going to go to that. We'll save that for another time. So I wrote a song, and for those of you who don't um, don't know Michael and I or you're not, like, intimately involved with our life, like, this year has been kind of, like, really crazy for us with, like, a lot of change and a lot of transition. And um, it's been really hard. But our hearts have gotten so big in the process because we've learned to lock eyes with the one we love. And it doesn't really matter what goes on around us because we have the only thing that matters. And it doesn't matter what external things the enemy or the world tries to touch. Like, there's something inside of me that you cannot take, that the world cannot take. You, can, you can't take away that moment of looking into his eyes. And that's what I pray for every single person to encounter. So I wrote this song, um, just feeling overwhelmed by life and going back to that moment again, because that's like the safest place, going back to that moment and looking him in the eyes. And I'm going to play it for you guys. And... I really would encourage you to, if you feel like you want to kneel, just kneel. If you feel like you want to lay down, lay down. If you feel like, I don't know, just whatever you feel like God prompting you to do to encounter him. And I just pray that the encounters that I've had, every good, amazing, beautiful encounter I've had with him, I pray that it comes out through the song and goes to you guys. So, should I... Could I? Yeah, maybe I'll just use yours. This can just stay here, it's fine. Jesus and Holy Spirit, just come. Face and nothing. 
nothing in this world it shines brighter when I I want to love you more I want to love you Without conditions, hung on a cross before me. I hear your very last breath as you called me your bride. I see that dawning of the third day when all along. I was the joy in your eyes When I I wanna love you more I wanna love you more I I wanna love you
So, Father, I just ask that right now we would have a burning in our hearts to know you more, to encounter you more, to see your face. We once saw in part, but there's access now to see you face. Someday we'll see you face to face. And God, I want to be there on that day when we all get to see you face to face. Not just when we go up to heaven someday, but now. Father, I ask that you would reveal yourself to every single person in this room. I ask that you would give them the courage to step into the light, to be known by you. To let you in to search our hearts. Father, I ask that all fear would go in Jesus' name and that courage would arise in our hearts to know you more and to be known by you more. You're beautiful, Jesus. You're beautiful, Jesus. Amen.